0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, Shavuos is coming up, so that's the uh, the holiday of receiving the Torah, and uh, maybe we'll we'll focus in on that. Um, it says that on the 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 first day of the month of Sivan, so that's the the name of the Hebrew month, um, the the Jewish people reached Mount Sinai, so we we encamped there at Mount Sinai, so. This is all sort of like the the, the big build up to, to receiving the Torah itself um, all of these days and all these days um, starting from the, the first of Sivan the, the sixth of Sivan is the day that we celebrate the receiving of the Torah so starting with um, the first of Sivan it 's already a little bit of a holiday so there 's a prayer that we say um, or I should say that there 's a prayer that we don 't say it 's called takunun which is a bit of a um, uh, bit of a prayer of uh, kind of like regret over things that uh, we may have not gotten right and done. holidays, we don't say tachanun. So you know, any time that we don't say tachanun, that's already more of a festive day. So starting with the very first day of the month of Sivan, there's no tachanun until after the holidays. So that's just an expression in in halacha, in terms of Jewish law, that's really sort of like already describing the, the essence and spirituality of these days that already these days right now have a little bit of a quality of a, of a holiday. And, and as we discussed, the, um, the, great, the great merit of, of the Jewish people, the, the, the tremendous accomplishment just in terms of just the history of humanity was the level of unity that the Jewish people reached at this moment. Because it said that at, at this time, We encamped around the mountain, uh, and it's in the singular. And of course, since we're talking about millions of people right now, it should be in the plural that we encamped. But the fact that the word encamped uh, is in the singular, Rashi uh, explains that what that means is that we were like one person with one heart. So there was this amazing level of unity, which allowed us to become vessels in order to hold this A very, very exalted light. And remember, the word vessel in Hebrew is Kli. And Kli is an acronym, Kohen Levi Yisrael, which are the different parts of the Jewish people. They all came together as one. And thus, we became a vessel to hold this very um, exalted light. And the... uh, so, So that's where we're at right now. And like I always think that if we had the eyes to see it at this moment in time, we would see that we're right by the mountain right now, even now. If we had the eyes to see it, we'd see that we're encamped at the mountain right now. And, um, you know, this, this, this union that takes place between heaven and earth, between God and the Jewish people, between the infinite and the finite, is, is really the message of, of Mount Sinai. You see, because, you know, I was thinking that um, if, you, if you need kind of like a, an example um, to understand sort of the depths of the Torah, the depths of reality, um, what, where it is that we're actually situated. You see, we have to kind of get past this, what I think is a very kind of like um, rudimentary understanding of, of, of the human condition, if you will. Um, even among spiritual people. And, and what I mean to say is the following. And, and I call this uh, bad math. We, we think that God exists to the extent that I believe that he exists. I'll say that again. We, we believe that God exists to the extent that I believe that he exists. So in other words, that creates the type of phenomenon where, where someone who's maybe less in tune with spirituality looks at a religious person and goes, yeah, you know, he believes a lot. So in their mind, God is very present in that person's life. But me, I don't believe so much, so really there isn't much of a God in the world. Maybe a little bit. On holidays, when I'm feeling religious, then there's more God is, exists more. Right? Now that's a very, if I'm using this word correctly, solipsistic... Uh, take on, on, on what it is. Because if there's a God and he's all-powerful and he's omnipresent, then he's there no matter what, whether you believe in him or not. You can absolutely deny his existence. And, you know, existentially, the hilarious joke is, is that he's keeping you alive. As you deny his existence, he's, you know, making sure your synapses fire and your brain and your lungs breathe and everything like that. And, and you know... To, to God, it's sort of hilarious that this creature that he's keeping alive is sort of denying his existence, right? But it's a sign of God's love and his chesed, his kindness, that, that he does that anyway, because God, God's very patient. He understands that he concocted a world where, it's, where he's very hidden. Remember, one of the touchstone teachings is that the word for world, olam, ayin lamed mem, is the root word in Hebrew for Hidden. Because God is hidden in this world. I mean, this is a very, very central concept. So God is very, very patient with us. But nonetheless, if we want a sort of metaphor for, 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 for sort of seeing sort of everything like um, on, on kind of a macro level a little more clearly, I was just thinking the other day, you know, several years ago, th- these uh, books, they, they called them magic eye drawings, were very popular. And just in case you're not familiar with them, um, uh, it, there was a while where, like on the New York Times bestseller list, they were like, you know, one through five or whatever it was. Like, it was a, it was a craze. And, and what it was is these, uh, these magic eyebooks were, they're these drawings, and it's just on a piece of paper, so it's two dimensional. But they're very crammed drawings. And if you stare at them, all of a sudden, they, they appear to be like holograms. Like, you see in three dimensions this entire um, landscape of, of drawings, and, 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 and figures pop out, and you see like this entire thing. And it's not two-dimensional at all. But the, the interesting thing, the reason why I sort of like this as a, a metaphor for life and reality, is because a lot of people look at them and they never get the effect. And I was one of those people. I, I, I remember staring at these things and I, I understood there was a big craze and everything like that. And I was staring at them and staring at them and I wasn't. it was, just looked like a flat piece of paper. And one time, I stared at it and it was like, oh, now I get it. Now this is wild, you know? Because it's like, all of a sudden, it's sort of like you see layers and layers of dimensionality. And again, I think that that's a good metaphor for reality itself. A lot of people, they, they are very sort of like literal minded. Um, meaning to say that they kind of just look at what's in front of them and they think that what's in front of them is the extent of all that exists. But again, with these magic eye drawings, when you look at it, it looks like they're just two dimensional. But if you look at them long enough, you realize that there are all these different dimensions and it becomes like a hologram. So that's like life. You know, putting it another way, I once heard Reb Shlomo put it this way. He said, life doesn't work in a one plus one equals two way. Right? Like, we all know that intuitively from our own experience in our own life. You know, we put in a certain amount of effort and we expect a certain result and we're always confounded by the fact that it's sort of like, well, and then sometimes things happen without seemingly the required um, amount of work that we put in other things that haven't worked. and it's just." It just, how do, you, how do you make sense out of it? And, and the reason is, is because everything is multi-dimensioned. And the eye only sees a certain part of it. We're only seeing one piece of reality right now. Reality is much, much larger. And again, as we always mention, science is saying the exact same thing. That there are dimensions beyond our dimension. And that used to be the realm of philosophy or superstition or whatever it was, and now it's considered hardcore science. So, so science is still catching up with with religion and Torah in, in particular in this regard. so, so I want to tell you the, there, there's so much about Mount Sinai, what, what Mount Sinai means um, and but, um, but basically, if, if we return back to this idea that we're really situated whether we believe it or not it's not contingent on our own belief because it either exists or it doesn't exist and so given the fact that it does exist and that there are realms beyond which our eye can see both larger and smaller then the question is how do we access those realms while we're in this realm in other words while while we dwell within relatively speaking the finite How do we have access and be in harmony with the infinite? And that is what the Torah mitzvot are. They are our tools to reach beyond ourselves, reach beyond our dimension, and be able to simultaneously live a finite and infinite existence within this lifetime and within this realm. Now... Let me let me give you an example in a more um, sort of like meat and potatoes way, okay? Because, as I said, the 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 giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, the Ari describes it as a chuppah. We know the chuppah is the marriage canopy. That's what we that's what husband and wife stand under, and 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 two become one, right? Or or really, we say that their soul. Was initially one soul, and now it sort of comes down in two parts and two bodies, and then it becomes reunited. So, in other words, the chuppah—it's not so much that two become one, but the oneness that was always there becomes revealed. That's the—that's—that's—that's that's, that's a better way of understanding it, because God is one, and His oneness is absolutely everywhere. And what we're doing in terms of our lifetime is revealing his oneness. That's what, that's, what, that's what the act of sanctifying does. It reveals the oneness that's there already. In other words, a lot of times we think in another way. And this is, I think, also true, but it's a less deep way of understanding it. It's, it's this idea that I pick up a cookie and I say a blessing over the cookie And before it was just a cookie, but now because I've said a blessing over it, I've sort of sanctified the cookie, right? I've sort of, whatever it is, I've elevated it. And again, that's true on on some level. But, But on a deeper level, because God fills the entire universe, when I make a blessing, it's not that... I'm sanctifying the cookie. If God is absolutely everywhere, the cookie was already holy. (laughs) What I'm doing is now revealing the holiness that was always there. So that's what happens in the chuppah ceremony. That's what happens when husband and wife get together because if both of them are sharing the same soul, what happens at that moment is the revelation of the oneness that's always existed. Okay. So, So with this in mind, Let's talk a little bit more about blessings. And let's talk a little bit more about this idea that the Torah gives us that ability to link the finite with the infinite, to attach them. Or to reveal the oneness that's always been there. And I want to just tell you a story from my own life. Um, And um, so when I first was kind of getting a little bit more serious in terms of becoming more observant and, and, and studying Torah with, with, a, with a higher degree of seriousness. Um, I was taking classes at this uh, Chabad Yeshiva, which was across the street from my house at the time. And there was a group of us guys who were all kind of, you know, getting uh, observant more or less at the same time. Uh, and some of us were already, you know, uh, a little more advanced than, than, than others. But, but it, you know, there was a nice bond, a nice camaraderie between us. And after the class, sometimes we would go to this place on, on Melrose. It was a place at that time called I Love Juicy, which was a sort of a vegan, vegetarian place. And it wasn't officially kosher, but we weren't so observant at that point. So, so we were hanging out there, and uh, we'd kind of discuss the ideas from the, from the class that we just heard. And I remember it was sort of like... It was a really interesting place, there were, you'd see Rastafarians there, and models, and limousines would pull up, but it was like this little tiny place, you know. It wasn't like a fancy restaurant at all, but a very eclectic kind of mix of people. And um, one time, we were sitting there as a group, and uh, one of the, we, I guess we were talking about blessings, and one of the guys who was sort of more observant at that time than, than, than certainly I was anyway, said, you know, I'm making blessings before I eat food now. You know, and I say, you know, whatever it is, I, 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 say the, I say the blessing. And, you know, by the way, I'll just just uh, just make one more point just about the importance of blessings. And since we're talking about Mount Sinai and, and giving us the tools to connect the finite and the infinite, remember this amazing uh, Gamacher from the Jikovah Rebbe, we're counting 49 days, right? And then on the 50th day, we get the Torah. Right? We don't count the 50th day. So the 49 days is the extent of human capability. And the 50th is already beyond, 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 beyond. That we can't count, we can't even put a number on it, right? And remember, like seven represents nature, right? The world's created in seven days. So seven squared, which is forty-nine, that's the extent, that's the extent of human capability. And then 50, that's beyond. Okay? Now remember, if that's likened, the 50th day is likened to a chuppah, says the Ari, right? So the Jikover points out that the gematria, the numerical equivalent of the word chuppah is 99, which is 49 plus 50. In other words, it's the merger of the finite and the infinite, right? That way of accessing the infinite through the finite. Amazing, amazing gematria. So, so the word amen, Right? After you say a blessing, you say Amen. And remember, there's a debate in the the Gomorrah, in the Talmud, which is who gets more merit, the person who says the blessing or the person who says Amen. And there's two opinions. And one of the opinions, surprisingly, is the person who says Amen. And Amen is an amazing word. That's the Gematria 91, which is two names of God together. The Yudke Vavke, which is 26, and Aleph Daled yud which is 56, so or I'm sorry, 65. So that together is 91. Now those two names of God stand for the infinite and the finite, heaven and earth. So basically, when you're saying amen, you're saying that this apple, this cookie, this finite thing came from an infinite source. You're linking the finite and the infinite with the word amen. Okay? So blessings are important to, uh, to say, Amen is as, or more important to say, depending on, you know, where we uh, fall out on that. So so all of these things are tools and recognitions. And by the way, you know, we we made the point, I think it was last week, but it's worth repeating, which is that, you know, we we say seeing is believing, right? I don't know if I have a Torah source for that, but there might be. But anyway, that's kind of like one of those... uh, Common sense kind of, which, by the way, my dad used to always say common sense isn't common, right? But, um, <laughs> but anyway, just uh, seeing is believing. You know, if you see it with your own eyes, you, you believe it. And, and, and the thing is, is that what, this whole magic eye kind of thing that I was talking about before, we see finiteness all of the time. Like all we have constantly reinforced in our brains is the idea that this is all there is. And so if, to the extent that we actually believe that, it's very understandable, because that's the message that we're constantly sent. And so that's why things like blessings, things like saying Amen, all the mitzvot, which are throughout the entire day, are so essential, because they open up our mind to the fact that there's more going on all of the time. And a lot of people don't understand um, why there's so many mitzvahs. Like, you know, Are the rabbis control freaks? I mean, like, give me a break. Is there really a way, a Torah way, to put on your socks and shoes? And by the way, the answer is yes. There there really is a way. It's right sock, left sock, right shoe, left shoe. Tie your left shoe, then tie your right shoe. So why? Why? Because if God is absolutely everywhere, in everything, then that means there's no such thing as a secular moment. Right? If I dwell within God, there is no such thing as a secular moment. Which means there has to be. There has to be a holy way to do everything. It's not just, "Why are you giving me such a hard time? Can't I have a break?" That but that's you you anyone who thinks that, it it doesn't have the fundamentals of reality. If you're standing before the infinite one at all times who loves you to pieces, right? There has to be a way, even whether you're moving pots on a stove on Shabbos or not, there has to be a way to do everything. Mm-hmm. There has to be, right? So, again, this is, this is the interconnection between the finite and the infinite on a daily basis. And of course it manifests itself in the realm of the mundane. You go, well, that's so, really? You do it that way? Aren't you just being neurotic? No. No, no, no. Well, you might also be being neurotic. <laughs> you know, the two can go together. But, <laughs> in fact, they often go together. But, but that aside, that aside, um, you know, if you can avoid that trap, um, you know, they're, they're, it, it, it makes sense. Okay, so anyway, let's get back to this idea of blessing. So, so I'm sitting at Isle of Juicy <laughs> with this friend of mine who's like more observant than I am, and he says to me, you know, it comes up naturally in conversation. He says, "I'm making blessings now, and bless you." And the thing is, is that the, the the for me at that point in my life, it's sort of like you know, if you're standing in front of a person who's not like aware what blessings are and everything like that, and you know, you know, there's all the whole issue of head covering and this that and the other thing when you're saying a blessing and. Hey, you know, it's like I couldn't, I wasn't there, you know, I couldn't deal with all that stuff. It was too much pressure. So, but I was definitely, you know, into the idea of blessings, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what I was doing at that point in my sort of journey was I was just sort of like having the blessing in mind. Right. So I was thinking the blessing and like really kind of, you know, and, 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 and trying to do a good job at that, which was sort of like an exercise in spirituality and things like that. So then we get into a debate. Like which is better, right? And and the debate sort of like starts to play itself out in this way. Just what's better to just to rattle off the words or not to say the words, but to have like a very sort of like expansive okay. thought in mind before you before you do it. So of course I was completely um biased and you know, sort of like invested in my own sort of like uh you know you know Stayed at that point, so I was arguing that you know the sort of the more sort of exalted thought process was higher, and then he was saying no, you just gotta you gotta say the words, you know that's a, that's the whole idea. Remember, we say the name of God, the this the holiest name of God is Yud, it's, it's spelled Yud Vovke. That's what we call it the Tetragrammaton, right? The four letter name of God. It's a verb. It's a verb. This is an amazing thing because. Our concept is everything has to manifest itself in an action, right? That's, that's, in fact, this dimension of reality is called Olamasiyah, which means the world of action, right? This is, this is, this is very Jewish, you know, that, that we say that a thought has to be attached to a deed. So, anyway, we're debating it back and forth. And then someone says, why can't you say the words and have like kavana, Have like a very high-minded thought while you're saying the words. And it was sort of like, it was then like this silence, you know, I mean? it's sort of like, you know, that person was so clearly right, you know what I mean, it's sort of like, and that was the entire point, wasn't it, I mean, that's the initial conception to begin with, is that you say the words, and of course, you say the words, and you have something exalted in mind while you're saying the words, right, and that's the marriage again of the finite and the infinite. That is, that is the whole point of all of this, you know? And I think that sometimes people who aren't quite with the program, so to speak, haven't, you know, sort of like, you know, like, like you know, grasped what the Torah vision is, mischaracterize observance as sort of like r- just a ritualistic run and just, hey, you're doing this, that, and the other thing, Right? without fully appreciating that that is not, in fact, what it is that we're aiming for. We're aiming for this marriage of the finite and the infinite, where the action is accompanied by a very exalted thought. That that is the point. But the point is also that we're not all great at it, you know? It's sort of like, I was thinking, like, you know, you have, um... See, this is why, there's something called a Chil Hashem, which is called, that would be translated as a desecration of God's name. And this is considered the most severe um, severe uh, Avera. You know, the, basically the, the worst sin, you know, to loosely translate it. Because basically it, it gives, it's an action by a human being that gives God a bad reputation. Right? Or gives the Torah a black eye, or the Torah a bad reputation. And so so, for instance, like an example of a of this, of a desecration, would be someone who outwardly appears to be super religious, and then does something which seems to be very inhumane um, or antithetical to uh, you know religiosity, or certainly to the Jewish vision. Like, let's say he's a crook or something like that, right? So, so that sends a message to many, many people that there isn't a correlation between observance and very high-minded intention. You see, that's, that's one of the roots of where people get this mistaken idea that the two of them don't belong together and that that isn't the whole point to begin with. Of course they're supposed to go together, right? Um, and, uh, and so we, we, we have to be really uh, careful about that. We have to be really careful about that. Like, for instance, you know, to wear a yamaka. To wear a kippah is a big responsibility because you're sort of publicly representing the Torah. So a, to wear a yarmulke is a is a is a custom. Actually, it's a custom that's been accepted by by the Jewish people, and so it's considered a very very strong custom. And as such, it's 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 uh, you know you know it's almost at the level of a mitzvah, but it's not a mitzvah. It isn't a mitzvah. And, and, and yet, I'm not discouraging anyone from doing it, but what I'm trying to do is give you a, a finer point of understanding in terms of um, not, God forbid, being in a place where we can desecrate God's name. If a person is going into a place where it's inappropriate for someone to be wearing a yarmulke, and they'll be um, sort of mis- misjudged, or people will wrongly interpret what's going on, better they should take it off. Then to send the wrong message, in other words, to wear a yarmulke in a place where they might be acting in a ple- in in a way that will send the wrong message, is much worse than going without a yarmulke, even if they they really enjoy wearing a yarmulke, or that that it's very important to their spirituality or whatever it is. So again, we have to be you know mindful of sort of like fine points like this, you know. Which which aren't such fine points, but oftentimes they'll occur to us as fine points. Um, so again, blessings. The, these these blessings are are the that interplay. Now now again, I'll tell you something sort of uh, more on the adult level, but just I I think it's a very beautiful thing, and just you should know it because we're talking about the interplay um, between the finite and the infinite. It, it says. That after we received the Torah at Mount Sinai, there's a command, and it's written right in the Chumash, that everyone was supposed to go back to their tents. And that's said in a very sneeze, modest way. That's all it says. They went back to their tents. But the rabbis understand that that meant that husband and wife were supposed to be intimate with each other. And so, again, you see something very beautiful. That after the reception of the Torah, which was the finite and the infinite coming together, that was actually played out in terms of the Jewish people on a very human level. And again, you know, the Torah is so awesome. The Torah is so beautiful. And, but if you want to know what the Torah says, you have to actually study it. You know what I mean? You have to. Otherwise, you'll never hear pieces of information like that. So, so again, just the holisticness of the Torah and how it's spanning every aspect of, of life. Um, now... That's a, a good transition to, to talk about um, uh, shalom bias, uh, peace in the home, uh, especially between man and wife. Because there's a very interesting point that I, I, I came across um, from uh, the Ozer Chaim, and uh, uh, it, I, I read it in a book. It's a, it's a fantastic book. If you don't have it, I really, really recommend it. It's called The Torah Treasury. Artsco puts it out. It's a big, oversized book, and it's just packed with amazing Torahs. Um, so this is one of them, uh, and it goes parsha by parsha, so portion of the week. So that's the uh, that's on this one. Um, so so, interestingly, we we just read parsha's Naso. Parsha's Naso is the longest parsha in the entire Torah, and every year it's either it's almost always the week after Shavuos, after we get the Torah. Which is nice. You get the Torah, and then you've got the longest parsha of the of the of the year, or right before we get the Torah, like it's this like it's this year. Um, so, but either way, either way, it's dealing with the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, and um, and so we're talking about husband and wife right now, and one of the things. So it's it's you know. The, since since the, the uh, Harsinai, the revelation of the Torah is compared to a chuppah, which is husband and wife, and we talked about other aspects of that as well. It makes sense that the that the Torah in this parsha is also here. You can you can go over there if you like. R- right right over there is, is probably going to be in the shape. Yeah. So um, also talks about uh, peace in the home and it, it talks about. Uh, the Sota. So, who is the Sota? The Sota is uh, an, an adulterous wife who was warned beforehand, and then she is found uh, by witnesses in seclusion with the man again, and so there's sort of a way of kind of working out whether, in fact, she's, um, she's been adulterous or not. Okay. So, I know that, uh, that uh, from a feminist perspective... There's, you know, it's it's a, it's a painful it's a painful chapter to read in the Torah as it's as it's spelled out, um, which is why I'm bringing up this point, which which I just came across, which I thought was very interesting, and again the Torah is so balanced, but you have to really read the Torah to to, to see these things. So in the very beginning of the discussion of the sota of this woman, it says, it says, and this is if you want to see it, it's in chapter. 5, verse 12 of uh, midbar of Numbers. And it says that, um, it says, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, uh, Any man whose wife shall go astray and commit treachery against him. Okay? And then it, that's the beginning, bless her, that's the beginning of the discussion of the sota. But, very interestingly, when it talks about, when it says the word man, any man whose wife shall go astray, it says in, in the Torah itself, it, man. the word for man is ish. So it should just say any ish, and then continue with the thought. But that's not what it says in the Torah. It says ish, ish. The, the word man is repeated two times. So, so why? We know that no letter in the Torah is repeated twice, much less two words in the Torah. If two words are going to be repeated back to back, then there's a teaching there. There's a very important teaching there. So so the halacha is the following. The Rambam says that a man has to love his wife as much as himself and honor her more than himself. And the rabbi who married us said um, uh, that why, why love her as much as yourself? Because he said, he explained it this way, that that human beings are incapable of loving someone more than they love themselves. Which is that in itself is a very insight into our humanity. Meaning to say that um, if you want to, if you, if you if if you want to love other people more, you have to actually love yourself as well. And and so that's that's actually that's actually a mitzvah to, to to love yourself as well, because loving yourself allows you to love other people. And, and, and the, the inverse is true, that if you don't love yourself, you don't love other people. It, it, it's, very hard, it's very hard to do. So, so we, we tend to think of, well, if I love myself, there's, that, that's just sort of riddled with, with arrogance and, and, and you know narcissism and, and all the rest. But if it's contextualized, in terms of a larger matrix of responsibilities to the family and to the community and to God and everything like that, you see that loving yourself is actually an essential component. It just has to be contextualized, right? Um, Okay, so so now let's get back to this idea that at the very beginning of the discussion of the wayward wife, it says, ish ish, the word man is repeated two times. And so the Otsar Chaim says the following thing. Ish-ish means that the man has become completely self-centered. The man has made it all about him. So when you have this double repetition, basically the husband is saying, me-me, at the very be- within the marriage. Ish-ish. When all of a sudden the dynamics of the relationship are completely shifted... To one party, then it opens up the gates for there to be all sorts of problems, and then the Torah goes into this particular problem, right? That doesn't excuse the woman, by the way. The woman has full responsibility, you know, to to be loyal. Um, Nonetheless, what the Torah is saying here, in a very subtle, meaningful way, is it's exploring the roots. Of where the disconnect started to happen. That's that's one that's one understanding of it. But I, I thought that that was meaningful because in the discussion of the sota, usually the attention is on the woman; it's not so much on the man. So I thought that it's it's important to tell you what the Torah is also saying in terms of the man's possible role in this as well. Um, by the way, this problem is much more common with men than it is with women. So why would the Torah you mean in terms of um in terms of ego you're saying that that man becomes more oh you're ter- in terms of uh straying, in terms of adultery <laughs> well yeah but let's not go into that now <laughs> maybe that's a i you know i I should say I don't know thing let me that's the most that's the most honest answer but I certainly hear your point <laughs> um yeah. You, anyway, that's going to take us in a whole other place, but, but um, it's, it's worthy of a discussion. Yeah. Um, you know, anyway, the less I say, the better at this point. So, um, so, so anyway, um, one more point, which is, I think, uh, interesting, is that let's say, the, this is now from the Talmud, let's say the woman was actually guilty of this act with another man, right? And the woman is taken into the holy temple, the base of Migdash, and she drinks these uh, waters, which, you know, if she is in fact guilty, have a very devastating effect on her. They're, they're lethal, essentially. Um, what's, what's, what's interesting, again, the Talmud explains is that, so you might be asking yourself, what about the man that she was with? Because the man, by the way, that she was with is also guilty of the death penalty right? What, what's he up to at this moment? So it says, the Talmud explains that if the woman drinks the waters and was guilty, the man she was with also dies. Again, this is, these, are, these are things that you have to learn to know, but, but they're right there. It's all part of the story. So again, these are important things. And then again, another detail that the Talmud explains is that if the man was unfaithful, right, and guilty of these type of things, even if the woman was also unfaithful, the waters would not work on her. So so even if she was guilty of this thing, she would survive this ordeal because the man was not eligible for this thing because he was not on the spiritual level because he was guilty of the same thing. Okay, so again, you, you, you do see quite a bit of balance, but you have to learn the sources, you know? Um... So, and, and that's actually very much in keeping with another idea, just while we're on the subject, let's just make it, which is that there's something called tohaha, which is translated as rebuke, but it's basically this idea that if someone's doing something wrong, you know, the, we have a certain obligation to tell them. And by the way, that's a very complicated uh, chapter in itself, because already in the Talmud, they said... Now, this is going back approximately 2,000 years. One of the sages says, we've already lost the ability to do it properly. <laughs> that was 2,000 years ago they said, we've already lost the ability to, how to, how to rebuke someone properly. And, um, and so, um, but nonetheless, the rabbis explain something very interesting, which is that if you are not keeping the thing and you're rebuking the other person who's also not keeping it, they won't listen to you, it says. And I think that, you know, I, I always like to use this phrase, the, the physics of spirituality, you know? There's, it, it makes sense, just on a sort of a Newtonian level, that, if, that if, you, if you are not keeping it yourself, why would that force have a, you know, productive outcome? It, it, why would it? You don't have the momentum in terms of your own righteousness, uh, on that particular point, right? Um, And from that, I personally derive another point, which I think is kind of interesting, and might sort of illuminate some kind of mysterious interactions that you may have had in your own life. I know I've, I've had this experience, where you meet someone, say, on a bus, you meet a stranger, you never see them again, and they give you a piece of advice, and you never forget it, right? It always stays with you. Like, how does that work? And so I think that the same principle is in effect in the opposite way, which is that they're telling you something that they do really well. Right? They're not necessarily telling you that they're great at this, the, the, the advice that they're giving you, but it's coming from a very great strength that they personally have. And again, to just think of the physics of it, because they've mastered that thing, when they tell you, boom, it goes right into your bones. Right? Right? even if it was just a chance encounter and for a very short period of time. So I just want to try to explain it in that way. Um, Okay. Uh, So now, what we just did was just to go over this idea that, that, again, when the Torah is revealed at Mount Sinai, that's this amazing union between the finite and the infinite, and so it makes sense that the Parsha that always appears either before Shavuos or after Shavuos is also dealing with harmony between man and wife in the household. Right? Okay. So now I want to make uh, one more point, and we'll wrap it up, which is, you know, I was kind of looking at the word naso, and again, naso is the name of the portion of the week, and and, you know, we say that the on some level that the whole Parsha is kind of summed up in the name of the Parsha. So, and I was thinking, where do you see the giving of the Torah in the word Nasa? So, so one of the amazing things about the Hebrew language, remember it says that God created the world with the, with the Hebrew letters. And in fact, I, didn't have, I don't think I had a chance to share this teaching with you yet. Amazing, amazing teaching from the Jikovar Rebbe. Um... Amazing, amazing teaching. And I'm still trying to understand it frankly, um, but I, I it's worth saying over anyway, um, which is which is basically, see, in terms of kind of like our our mystical narrative of creation, right? What we say is that remember what's what what is what is creation all about? creation is 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 God taking his infinite light? remember, Remember, one of the names of God is the or in Sof, light without end. And God takes his light and compresses it and compresses it. That's called simpsum, He compresses it into physicality. So it's one spectrum. I always think that's a very, very essential point. If you want to try to understand like the, the, the broader uh, notions of, of, the, of the physical universe that we live in, um, so many people make this very false distinction between materiality and spirituality, as though they're two separate paradigms. It's one continual spectrum. It's light being condensed down to physicality, right? And of course, that's the Higgs boson. That's what won the Nobel Prize the other year. That's 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 what that was. They proved. See, people that also known as the God particle, right? What, what, what they, what, it's not a particle. It's a field of energy that they found where light actually goes through this field and becomes matter. Wow. Okay? And that is what the Torah has been saying forever. Right? Again, science still catching up with Torah. Right? That's, that's been our narrative since the beginning, that light condenses into physicality. That's, by the way, E equals MC squared. That's what that is. That's energy becoming mass. Okay, so so when we say that God is absolutely everywhere, that we dwell within God, this is this is not a this is not a poetic, you know, you know, um, philosophical theological construct. This is actual the brute reality of existence. But remember, God fills the world and exists dimensions beyond the world. right? That's, that's very important, because if you just say that, 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 that the world is just God, God is the world, and the world is God, that's another religion. That's not Judaism. Judaism says God fills the world, and exists dimensions beyond the world. Okay? Okay. So, so where do we see it? Where do we see it in the word nasa? Where do we see all this in the word naso? So, so naso is nun, shin, aleph. Nun, shin, aleph. Where do we see the giving of the Torah in this world? Oh, so, so I was just telling you this Jikover Torah. I'm sorry. So, so we say that God shone his light into these vessels, but the vessels couldn't hold the light. So the vessels shattered, right? And then the sparks fell right, 288, okay, file that number away, right, Mm -hmm. fell, and I think those sparks unfortunately split into more sparks, so (laughs) we've had a lot of cleaning up to do, and that's what we're doing, we're sort of gathering the sparks, uplifting the sparks, you know, in all the corners of the world and everything like this, okay, Um, anyway. Don't don't think that they're actual vessels and jars floating up in outer space, because that's, that's not what the rabbis are saying, right? This is just a way of understanding these, trying to wrap your mind around these things. So we we, we talk in these sort of this language, but but you'll you'll, you'll mislead yourself if you take it too too uh, pictorially. <coughs> Bless you. So so we have these vessels that can hold the light, and they shatter all right and then new vessels come on the scene right so this is the next stage in the contraction of the light now what happens with these new vessels what why were they able to hold the light but the previous vessels were not able to hold the light because the first set of vessels were not connected to each other each one tried to hold the light by itself okay and you can't do it right so that's talking about us in our own lives you can't do it by yourself. If you think you can do it by yourself, you're wrong. You can't. That's why you need friendships. That's why you need community. That's why you need family. Right? That's, we all need each other. We need each other. Okay? And if you look at the sort of Kabbalistic charts of the Sphirot, you'll notice that each sphera has a line connecting it to the other sphera. What, what's going on there? What's happening is that light that's going into the vessels is being shared and disseminated among the other vessels. Do you understand? And then when it's shared, then it can withstand and hold the light. Amen. Right? Now, again, that teaching, and I just saw that it's from the magalia Mukos, you know, one of the most amazing sources. Kli, vessel, is Kohen Levi Yisrael. It's an acrostic, Kli. Kohen Levi Yisrael. That's the three segments of the Jewish people coming together, making a vessel, and then you can hold the light, okay? And again, it says when we were at Mount Sinai, we encamped as one person with one heart. You see, all these things are coming together, okay? So now, what happens is that now we're able to hold the light. Now, how many... Remember, we're talking about getting to Mount Sinai. We count 49 days, and then God... As a gift, gives us the fiftieth day, right? That's beyond our ability to reach. Now listen to this. So it's all about our part. Our job is the forty-nine, right? Now listen to this. The Chizkover Rebbe says the, the most amazing thing. He says, how many letters are there in the in the in the in the olive base in the in the Al- in the alphabet? And remember, our, t- our 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 mystical tradition is that God created the world with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which means what? It means that. Each, on a more sophisticated level, each of the letters is like a different energy wavelength. And God combined all the different energies in order to create the world. Okay? So now, how many letters are there? So the answer is there are 27. The 22 that you normally know plus the five final letters. Right? Five letters have final versions of themselves. That's 27 letters. Right? So the initial, the initial creation... The initial shattering of the vessels is the complete alphabet, right? That's 27 letters, right? And then the letters fall, 22. The regular letters fall, 22. <coughs> and what are we trying to do? We're trying to put them back together. What's 27 and 22? Is 49, right? <laughs> so 49 is the rectification, right, of the entire process. That's our job, putting it all back together right? So, so that's, that's the Jikoper. Now, let's, uh, let's get back to Naso and we'll finish up. So where do you see the giving of the Torah? Remember, Parshas Naso is always coming at Shavuos, either the week before Shavuos or the week after Shavuos. So where do you see the giving of the Torah in the Word? So what I'm trying to tell you is that the letters are infinite. The letters are unbelievable. And they're also pictograms. If you take a word the Word will tell you a story. The Word will tell you a story if you understand what, what, what the letters are telling you and, 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 and you learn, and you learn. Okay, so this is my interpretation, but I'll show you where you see the giving of the Torah in Parsha's Naso. Nun, Shin, Alv. Okay? So Nun is the number 50. So we know that it says in the Torah that the, that the Torah was given on the 50th day that we left Egypt. Right? And it also says that there are 50 levels, spiritually speaking, and the Torah was given, right? We count, we count 49, and then what's, what day is it? The 50th day, the 50th level that we can't even reach. That's Nun. Nun. So you see, like the very first letter of Naso is Nun. It's a complete description of the Torah. The 50th day, that we left Egypt, we get it, and we get it at the 50th level. Amazingly precise letter to begin with in terms of a description of the Torah, the giving of the Torah. The next letter is Shin. Shin has three prongs, okay? It's the number 300. Now, there are different forms of gematria, and one of them, basically, it's called mispar katten, which means the small number, and you knock out the zeros. So 300 becomes three. And of course, there are three prongs. And there are many drushas about the three prongs being like Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So there are many discussions when you talk about a shin as the notion of three. Well, it says several times right before the Torah is given in Parshish Yisro that the Jews were supposed to prepare three days, says it like about three, 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 four times, three days prepare for the giving of the Torah. Three days prepare. It's, it's coming in three days, right? So, so there you see in the shin the three days that were to prepare for receiving the Torah. Bless him. And then the last letter is aleph. Now, aleph is unbelievable, you know, in this in this context, because you see, the question is, what did God say? when he gave us the torah what did he say so the 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 talmud says that hashem said the first two of the 10 commandments okay which is basically i exist right or believe in me that's 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 the first commandment and the second commandment is don't believe in other gods right and that's a very amazing teaching because You might think, well, if I believe in you, then I don't believe in other gods. Right? So that sounds repetitive. And Rabbi Nachman points out, it's not only isn't it repetitive, it's maybe the main work that we have to do. Because Rabbi Nachman points out, it's possible to believe in God and believe in other powers. And I know for me personally, that was like the big work that I had to do in terms of my own spiritual journey was not so much to believe in God, I believed in God, but to stop believing that anything else had any power in the entire world. Mm. Right? And so that's, that's, that's a big thing. So, so the Talmud says, God said those first two commandments. Now with that in mind, the Gare Rebbe says a beautiful teaching. Then Moshe takes over, and Moshe then is, is, is the mouthpiece of God at that point, okay? Now the Gamachi of Moshe is 345 or 3, 4, five. Or, God says 1 and 2, and then Moshe, three, four, five. <laughs> in other words, Moshe is a direct continuation, picking up where God leaves off. Right? So you see that expressed. Remember, the Torah is talking in so many different languages, including the languages of mathematics. You know, it's just one of the languages of creation. That's why we're, we're referencing these things so much, you know? Just another way of accessing, you know what the Torah is trying to communicate to us. All right, so now, by the way, how do we know that there's 613 mitzvahs, right? Because the Talmud says the gematria of the word Torah is 611, okay? And God said the first two commandments, so that adds up to 613. So this is a very fundamental teaching. I'll tell you a crazy story. When I was... um, when my eldest son was—I don't know how old he was. Maybe let's say he was uh, let's say he was four years old. I don't think he was much older than that. Maybe he was three. I don't know. So I had a, a poster uh, next to his bed. It was like a uh, an old style poster, you know, one of those vintage posters of an airplane. Okay, and um, and he's jumping on his bed and he's touching the poster and then kissing his hand. <laughs> Right. And 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 I was like, uh, you know, I told him, I said, I said, why are you kissing the poster? I said, the poster is in Torah. Right. And then he says back to me, yes, it is. Right. And then I look at the number and on the plane, it's 161. Or if you want to read a different one, 6 which is the gamatri of Torah. <laughs> so I was like, whoa. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sort of like a <laughs> cool moment. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so, anyway um, so, so I heard from Reb Shlomo that the deeper Kabbalists say that God didn't say the first two commandments. What God said was the first word of the Ten Commandments, which is Anochi. Anochi means I am. Okay, so in other words, and, and by the way, the Ishvitzer Rebbe says that Anochi is the word Ani, which means I, and it has the, the letter Chaf in it. Chaf is a prefix in Hebrew for like. So you, if you rearrange the letters of Anochi, it's like like me. So in other words, this was the greatest revelation of godliness in the history of the world, Right? And God is saying at the same time, this is only a small taste. It's <laughs> only like This It's just a little, little, little bit so that you can comprehend what's going on. Meanwhile, our souls were literally flying out of our bodies, right? And God's like, this is just a taste. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so the deeper Kabbalists say that God just said, Anochi. At Mount Sinai, God just said, I am. And it was like, right? And now listen to this, all right? Got the chills just thinking about it. (coughs) Then Reb Shlomo says, the deepest Kabbalists say that, you know what God said at Mount Sinai? Now remember, the letter Aleph, that's the first letter of Anuchi, is silent. Aleph is silent. So Reb Shlomo said, the deepest Kabbalists say, you know what God said at Mount Sinai? He just pronounced the letter Aleph. (laughs) Right? Aleph is silent. (laughs) And that was it. And that contained the entire Torah. Right? So again, let's return back to where do you see in this pictogram for Naso? Naso is the name of the Parsha that's either right before Shavuos or right after Shavuos. Where do you see the giving of the Torah in it? Nun, Shin, Aleph. Nun. On the 50th day, we reach the 50th level. Shin, God told us repeatedly, prepare three days for its receiving. Aleph, the pronunciation of the Torah itself. All right? So, Hashem should bless us, should receive the Torah. We should know that it's constantly being given, it's never not being given. Wherever we are, there God is, and He loves you to pieces. Amen. Yeah.